Well, good good morning, Stafford Baptist, and welcome visitors. It is good to gather with you this morning to, to worship our wonder-working Savior. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Kelton. I have the privilege of serving here as one of the, the pastors of Stafford Baptist. You know, the, the, uh, our worship service uh, does not conclude when, when the singing is done, right? We continue in fellowship afterwards, so I would invite you to hang around afterwards, stick around, and get to know us. Well, the, the temperature certainly feels like summer, but our summer series in the Psalms have, has concluded. So now in August and into September, we are returning to our series in the Gospel according to Matthew, Kingdom Come. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 16, where we left off in May. Matthew 16. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, And the big numbers are chapter numbers, so we're looking for chapter 16, Matthew 16. Today we'll be in Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12, testing Jesus. But because it's been a while since we've been in this book and we've covered so much ground already, I'll start by briefly summarizing what we've seen in this gospel, especially for those who have have joined us since we began so long ago. And then once we're reoriented to the book of Matthew, then we'll take a look at the next step in Jesus' life and ministry in Matthew 16. So to start, what have we seen in the book of Matthew already? Well, he begins his gospel in one one, calling it a story about the son of David, the son of Abraham. The long-expected son of a king and the offspring to bring blessing. His birth is a miracle born of a virgin. As a boy in chapter 2, he is visited and worshipped by by some kings, but, but another tries to murder him. Well, after years of waiting, his ministry is announced in chapter 3 by the last of the Old Covenant prophets, Jesus' cousin, John. But more importantly, he is announced by a voice from heaven at his baptism. This is my beloved son. Well, in, when his ministry begins in chapter 4... He is tested by Satan in the wilderness. Unlike Adam in the garden and Israel in the desert, though, this son of God is is faithful, trusting God's word and and obeying it. So in chapters 5 through 7, Jesus teaches with authority about the kingdom that he brings as king. He pronounces blessings. He fulfills the law and the prophets. And he calls on the citizens of his kingdom to have a greater righteousness, a true and internal righteousness. And chapters 8 and 9, this king goes about casting out demons, healing diseases, showing that he rules as king even over nature itself by calming a storm with a word. And in his authority as king, in, in chapter 10, he sends out his followers to go and proclaim his kingdom and heal diseases. But he assures them that they will be rejected and persecuted. 
Well, despite all that, it doesn't seem that his kingdom is meeting expectations. In, in chapter 11, we have John questioning, is he truly the one who is to come or should we wait for another? In fact, whole cities reject him. But he continues to invite people to himself and demonstrate his authority as true king. Well, as, as opposition increases to this king, he teaches about his kingdom in, in cryptic parables. Chapter 13, both to hide and reveal the nature of his spiritual kingdom. He says his kingdom might look small now, but its growth is inevitable and will be universal. Jesus, this king, performs what might be his greatest signs in chapters 14 and 15, feeding massive crowds, first of uh, 4,000 and then 5,000 with just a few loaves and fishes, once for the Jews and again for the Gentiles. Sign after sign, confirmation after confirmation of what Jesus began with, that this is the son of David, the son of Abraham. This child by the Holy Spirit is God with us. And that brings us to chapter 16. So far, Matthew's account is is something like driving on Interstate 95 between Virginia and Georgia, either direction, north or south. I know what you know what I'm talking about. For nearly 200 miles in either direction, there are a total of 175 billboards for the attraction south of the border. Have you seen these? I understand they used to run even further, all the way from New Jersey to Florida. The, the signs encourage the passengers with slogans like, Keep yelling, kids. They'll stop. And when heading south, uh, we finally cross the border into South Carolina, you see the, the final signal, the tall sombrero tower rising above the horizon right off of 95, telling us that you've finally arrived. In other words, this place is, is hard to miss. Sign after sign after sign with exact mileage, Increasing with frequency as you approach, with one last great signal rising above the rest to announce that you have, ris- you have arrived. Well, I would say that the, the road that we've taken in Matthew's gospel is something like that journey south on 95, filled with signs but of a different kind, not, not billboards on an interstate, but still pointing us to the destination. Signs that point us to the right conclusion about who Jesus is. Now I wonder, would you believe someone who drove south on 95 and said that they missed the signs? South of the border? Didn't notice. Well, as hard as that might be to believe, that's what's happening in our passage this morning at Matthew 16. In the first verse, Jesus is approached by people who are, to use the illustration, experts in knowing what billboards to look for. Experts in what should be on those billboards. To drop the illustration, they're experts in the Bible and what the Bible predicts about the coming son of David and son of Abraham. 
The, the Bible is filled from beginning to end with prophecies and patterns that the Messiah fulfills. Matthew has already in his book referenced more than 35 of those. And although these approaching experts have seen all the signs, they come asking for more and in fact have totally missed the destination. Were the hundreds of 48-foot-wide signs in garish colors not enough for you? And the point for us brothers and sisters is simple. It's possible to see and not see. We ourselves must not miss what the signs point to and pass by Jesus like the sombrero tower without noticing. To see is only possible by a miracle of His grace. And for those of us who have been given eyes to see, we must work to help others see. And beware those who don't. Let's read the first 12 verses of Matthew 16 and then pray for God's help in our study. Matthew 16, starting in verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand. And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me for our hearing and the proclamation of God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, though we have not seen Jesus with our eyes, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him and rejoice with joy this morning that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Lord, we pray this morning that you would reveal Jesus to our hearts, that we would see and behold him, that the signs of his miracles, of his teaching, would point to his true identity in our hearts. And seeing we would believe, and believing we would rejoice, and rejoicing we would obtain the outcome of our believing, the salvation of our souls. Lord, we pray this all in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what is the main idea of this passage? Its point in one sentence, I might suggest that it is this. 
Our main idea today, see the signs of our Savior and beware the beliefs of the blind. See the signs of our Savior and beware the beliefs of the blind. Did you notice as we read the repetition of the theme, what is seen? The request for signs in verse 1. The signs of whether that they do see in verses 2 and 3. The warning in verse 6 to watch. The lament in verse 9 that the disciples do not yet perceive. This passage is a call for us to have enlightened eyes, to see, to see what is really there, what is true about Jesus, and to beware those who don't. See the signs of our Savior and beware the beliefs of the blind. This morning we're going to work through this whole passage and explain its meaning, and then in our second half, Come back and draw out the application. So, two points this morning. First, signs and dangers. Signs and dangers. And second, see and beware. So, in our first point, signs and dangers, we'll explain the passage in full. And we'll return to it in the second, see and beware, to apply it. Signs and dangers, and second, see and beware. So, brothers and sisters, let's walk through this passage, this text together in our first point Signs and dangers. If you glance just up, Matthew 15 ended with a a major sign. Jesus feeding the thousands of Gentiles in the Decapolis. They're starting in verse 32. But he, he left in verse 39 and is now in a Jewish region again. How does our passage begin? There in verse 1, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. The the two ruling parties of the Jewish people come to meet Jesus. But but without some context, if you don't know much about these two parties, this verse can easily lose its significance. Maybe to modern hearers, it would be like the Democrats and Republicans in a delegation together. Or maybe Red Sox and Yankees fans working together together. Whatever two groups in your minds might normally never get along, that's what's happening here. These two groups, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, make up the Sanhedrin. That is the ruling council that oversaw Jewish affairs at this time. But these two parties don't get along. They, they don't agree on much. Their theological views, their, their policies were significantly different. Good illustration of this You might remember the story of Paul before this Sanhedrin, this council in Acts 23. When he noticed that both Pharisees and Sadducees were in the room, he simply mentioned a topic that they disagreed on, and fights ensued. What in the world could unite these two warring parties? What's the phrase? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Even two parties like these can work together against a common enemy. And who is their common enemy here? It's Jesus. We've noticed as we've studied through the gospel according to Matthew, their opposition to him growing. They've accused Jesus, if you remember in Matthew 12, of casting out demons by the prince of demons, by Satan himself. 
And when he heals on the Sabbath, they withdraw and conspire how to destroy Jesus. So based on their previous interactions and and what we know of these two parties, we can have an idea of what to expect as they come to him in Matthew 16. What have they come to do? Verse 1 again, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. They come to request a sign. A sign would be some kind of miraculous token done quickly or at once performed at a command. And they want this sign from heaven. A sign from God's domain. They want a a clearly divine sign to prove his authenticity, his divine origin. But notice it's not just a sign Matthew tells us why they ask to test him. They asked him to show them a sign. That word test can have either positive or negative connotation. You can, you can test things in earnest. But it's the same word that Matthew used to describe what Satan did to Jesus in Matthew 4, in the wilderness, when he was led out by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Same word. Maybe we can say it's a test when you expect them and hope them to pass. It's a temptation when you hope that they fail. Even though the the passage is likely added later, what we have in John 8.6 is certainly a faithful description of what the Pharisees were like. Where this word, test or tempt, shows up again. The Pharisees in John 8 ask him a question about the law of Moses. And why? John 8, 6 says this, this they said to test him that, why, they might have some charges to bring against him. They ask to test that they might have some charges to bring against him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees are not testing Jesus in earnest with with the hope of confirmation. Could this be the one? No, but so they might bring charges against him. They are acting as if he is the enemy. They have been conspiring how to destroy him. And this is a part of their plan. Show us a sign. In fact, they've already asked this. What we have here in these first four verses is is very similar to to what we've already studied in Matthew 12, verses 38 and 39. Another request for a sign. And again, Jesus refusing to acquiesce to their request. But since some time has passed, he has now more to say. He adds what is in verses 2 and 3. Basically, in the time that has passed, not to mention what has come before, they should have been able to see and interpret the signs. There have been hundreds of 48-foot billboards all along the way in bright colors. Have you not seen He uses the illustration here, though not of billboards, but of the weather. They know, he says, how to look at the clouds, these signs in the heavens, and interpret them. We have a similar proverb in our day, right? Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Well, I leave it to the the sailors and meteorologists to explain it, but this is scientifically accurate. But, But the science is not his point. The point is that they can see and interpret the signs in the sky, in the heavens, 
But they aren't meteorologists. They are religious leaders. They are Bible people. If they can do that, what they have no training for, no expertise in, why can they not interpret the signs of the time? That's what he concludes at the end of verse 3. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Well, if they can recognize the weather by the appearance of the sky, why can they not recognizing the, recognize the dawning of the kingdom of heaven by what Jesus is doing and teaching? This is why it was particularly important for us to, to review what we've seen in Matthew already, if only briefly. It is all a mountain of evidence of the dawning of the kingdom of heaven, the signs of the times. What he has done, what he has taught, is is like the red sky, the, the sign from heaven pointing to the identity of this itinerant itinerant teacher. He is not mere man, but he is God. He is the Christ, the long expected Savior, come to save his people from their sins. And so in verse 4, he repeats what he has told them previously. To seek a, a sign is to show that you are at heart evil and adulterous. Adultery here refers to spiritual unfaithfulness. Their ignorance of Christ is evil. Paul the Apostle will describe the, the inability to see what is clear as caused by hardness of heart. Uh, Ephesians 4.18 is a good description of these religious leaders. There in Ephesians 4.18, Paul writes, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due, at the bottom of it all, to their hardness of heart. They are darkened and ignorant because of their hard hearts. And so with everyone else. When the crowds were were also rejecting Jesus, whole cities in Matthew 11, Jesus thanked God for hiding these things from the wise and understanding and revealing them to little children according to his will. Or Matthew 13, when he teaches in cryptic parables, he told his disciples that they'd been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to others, it had not been given. What we have here in Matthew 16 is another example of this same truth. All people are hopeless to see what is right before them because they are blind, but they are culpable for their blindness. We, by nature, love the darkness rather than the light. If we are to see, it must be revealed by the Father, Matthew 11. These secrets must be given, Matthew 13. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do for his disciples next. To those who have been given the secrets, he will explain. But before he does... Jesus does say that that one sign will be given, the sign of Jonah. He's already explained what that means back in Matthew 12, so he has no need to do that again here. 
We remember that the sign to come, just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a great fish, so Jesus will be three days and nights in the belly of the earth. Just as Jonah was miraculously delivered to new life, so will Jesus. He is talking about the sign, the great sign of his resurrection. Just like that sombrero tower, there is one great sign remaining that rises above all the rest to confirm his identity. And of course, for those who miss it, one last confirmation that they are without excuse. If you miss the sombrero tower, it is no fault of the signs. Well, this scene ends with the leaders leaving, or sorry, the, Jesus leaving these leaders. In verse 5, he heads to the other side, meaning of the lake. How unsettling. Jesus departs from them. He hides himself from them. But he reveals himself to his disciples. Still our first point, signs and dangers. But, but now the second scene with his disciples starting in verse 5. And we have to notice just how different it is. But first, the details. They take their journey across the lake, but they've forgotten to bring bread. This is important not because they're hunger, hungry or their forgetfulness, but because it contributes to how they interpret Jesus' warning in verse 6. He says there, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He gives them a warning about the, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, leaven is obviously literally the rising agent used in bread. So, connecting the dots based on their circumstances without bread, they think that's what he's referring to. Well, clearly they're confused. No, the Pharisees and Sadducees were not bread salesmen. But the point is lost on them. So Jesus corrects them. What we have in verses 7 through 11 can rightly be described as a rebuke, a correction. But it's so different from how he addressed the the Pharisees and Sadducees. First, he calls them of little faith there in verse 8. As you read through that, that might seem discouraging. Especially since right up, if you remember, in chapter 15, a Gentile woman demonstrating what Jesus called great faith. Here are these Jewish men with little faith. But it isn't no faith. And little faith is to be comforted. Those of little faith are, for example, to be clothed. Matthew 6.30 But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, those of little faith are protected. Matthew 8, 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. Those of little faith are also heard, held, and rescued. Matthew 14, 30 and 31. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of Peter, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Little faith is still a miracle of God's gift. And everywhere we see Jesus speak to those of little faith, he assures them of clothing, of protection, 
of hearing, of holding and rescue. Even to little faith, more is given. So in verses 9 and 10, he reminds them of the signs they have seen. The the two miracles, the the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14, of the 4,000 in Matthew 15. He, He asks them to remember how many baskets were picked up You'll recall that that he had them do the work. They could recall this immediately. You can imagine them sheepishly looking at their feet, kicking dirt, quietly answering, 12 baskets, rabbi, 7, rabbi. Oh, they know. But do they know? Clearly, they have no reason at all to be worried about bread, about what they're going to eat. Jesus could provide for thousands and thousands. How much more? Just for 13? No, he's not talking about bread. That is not the danger to go hungry with Jesus. Verse 11. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He, he repeats the same warning, but now after telling them it's not about bread... And so in verse 12, they understand. Matthew records, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When Jesus warns them, in, in leaven is referring to their teaching. And what teaching is he warning them of? That they're to watch and beware? Well, certainly he does not mean all that they teach generally. Matthew 23, he'll tell us to listen to the Pharisees. In fact, they affirm much that is true. And also, these these parties disagree on so much. Their teaching is, is different. The Sadducees reject the resurrection. So what is it that both teach? So that Jesus can lump them together in his warning that the, the disciples must beware. Well, obviously, his warning is connected to what came right before The teaching that they are to beware is unbelief of the Messiah. It is their common rejection of Jesus and their inability to perceive what is clear. Well, you might ask, didn't the disciples fail to see too? Jesus said they failed to perceive, they failed to understand. Aren't they guilty of the same unbelief? Jesus should have said to his disciples, right here, right now, you cannot interpret the signs of the times and left them. I'm going to do this alone. But he didn't. And this highlights the fact that to them has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. It has been revealed to them. This is going to be so important in our passage, Lord willing, next week. When Peter confesses who Jesus is, he arrives at the destination all the signs point to. And Jesus says, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The right confession of Jesus comes from the Father in heaven. So our scene here in in verse 12 ends with the disciples understanding because the words of Christ and the revealing of the Father give them understanding. And we would add to that by the work of the Spirit. So we have to say both the disciples and the religious leaders have the same root problem. 
It is not as if they're two different kinds of people. No, all people are ignorant due to their hardness of heart. When Paul wrote that in Ephesians 4, he was talking to Christians about their previous hardness of heart. But God in mercy, not because of good works done by us, has called these twelve. And has called you too, if you see. You know, some among these religious leaders will, in time, see, but only because of God's mercy. You might think of Nicodemus in John 3. Or you might think of the most notorious Pharisee of them all, Saul, now Paul. He too was once an enemy of Jesus and rejected him until the Lord literally blinded him with light to reveal to him his true identity. Jesus, in his mercy, gives sight to the under, undeserving blind, and he still does this. And so, church, the call for us today, depending on grace, is to see. Our second point in application of this passage, see and beware. See and beware. See the signs of our Savior and beware the beliefs of the blind. We've explained the signs and, and dangers here now for us to apply them, to, to for ourselves see and beware. If you like, we can have two subpoints. First, see, and then beware. The whole point of this passage, brothers and sisters, is for us also to see and beware. That's why Matthew recorded it. We'll get eventually to something you can do with your sight, but, but first, see. And friends, it is so important for us to start here because it's the foundation of salvation. If Jesus is the Savior from sins, the call is not for you to come do, but to come and behold. Do you remember what happened to the generation that left in the Exodus? As they left Egypt, they were pursued by the armies of Pharaoh, and they were terrified. They had no weapons. They had no ability to defend themselves. So what did Moses tell them to do? With the armies approaching Exodus 14, 13, and 14, and Moses said to the people, fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. What were they to do? Stand. See. Be silent. God works the salvation and their part is just to look and see. And this is no less true of our salvation, saints. Not pursued by the armies of Pharaoh, but, but pursued by our sins to overtake us in condemnation. To give us the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Not death at a sword, but death as the wages of our sins. And the call for us is not to do, it is to see and believe. This is what Jesus taught of himself. After the signs of the loaves and fishes, he was followed by crowds who saw but didn't see. I think it's the key to understanding what we are to do in light of God's salvation. So leave Matthew 16 with me for just a minute. 
Go past Mark and Luke to John 6. John 6. John 6 is John's account of what Matthew recorded in Matthew 14. The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walking on water. We're going to read John 6 starting in verse 26 all the way down through 40. What we are called to do in our salvation. Jesus answered them, starting in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of heaven. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What are we to do, brothers and sisters? Look on the Son. Whoever looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. You see, the crowds had, had seen the signs but missed the one that they had pointed to. Saints, the work of God, He teaches, is to believe in Him whom God has sent. The signs point to Jesus who is from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. In verse 36, there are those who see, Jesus says, and not believe. Rather, it is those whom the Father gives that will see and come to him. So brothers and sisters, look, see, believe that the signs all point to the fact that Jesus is the one sent from God to bear your burdens and save from sins. Nobody arrives at a billboard driving south on 95, pulls over the car, gets the family out, and takes a photo. Signs are meant to lead you to a destination. The sign of the bread was meant to lead you to the bread from heaven, Jesus. So follow the signs to Jesus, saints. Look to him and be saved. Salvation is not the wages for your labors, but the gift of his grace. 
And notice what he said there in verse 40. It is for everyone who looks and believes. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is for you too. What it means to look to Jesus is for you to lift your eyes from your own efforts to save yourselves and place them on Jesus in faith. It is to see him revealed in his teaching and miracles, not as just another great teacher in the line of great moral teachers, but God himself. The Bible records true history of when God really did take on human flesh and come to be with us. And this God in human flesh dwelled among us. He laid down his life for you and me. Though he did not deserve to die, the Father planned for him to be destroyed by these conspiring Pharisees. But when he died on the cross, he was not suffering for himself. He died the death that you and I deserve for our sins. God pouring out his righteous opposition to our evil on Christ. He was condemned in our place. Now simply by the look, the look of faith, we can be saved, forgiven of our sins and pronounced innocent. We can be restored to right relationship with God and right living under God. And all this is not because you do, but because you are invited to stand still and see the salvation of your Lord. See. Church, see. Though none of us have ever seen Jesus with our eyes, look to him with faith. Receive again this morning fresh assurance that that he is the Christ. That you are saved by faith in him. That he is who he says he is. That his miracles and his teaching confirm it. But none more than his resurrection from the dead. The announcement to the cosmos that this is the one Savior from sins. Death could not hold him. And because he was raised to new life, you have newness of life now and the hope of the resurrection in the age to come. 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. But there is something for us to do here. We don't just see, though that is the start, but now we have the privilege of helping others to see. It might be easy to forget that the Pharisees and Sadducees aren't just villains in the plot. They were real people too. You wonder what what their names were. What did they do when they got home that day? Remember, some of their party came to see and believe in Christ, like Paul. So we're reminded, even those who are most hardened, maybe like you were, can be saved by the grace of God. You might have in mind a family member or loved one, a child who has seen all these things yet still does not see. They've seen the signs in your life, your prayers answered, your trust in the midst of storms, your joy in the midst of trials, all proof of his identity that he really is who he says he is. 
They've heard his teaching with authority, maybe explained over years of patience. We'll take fresh encouragement, saints, from Matthew 16. Salvation is a miracle. Yes, that is clear here. We cannot, in our own power, make anyone see, but God does have that power. Even to people as obtuse as you and me, like the disciples. Keep looking for opportunities to show them Jesus in the gospel. Maybe point to signs in their lives that you see of God's providences, of his evidences in their life. Pray that God would send other people into their lives that would show them Jesus. And pray with confidence of the assurance that we have in John 6 that all that the Father gives to Christ will, underline it, will come to him. So we see, we have the privilege to help others see, but we also must beware. See the signs of our Savior and beware the beliefs of the blind. With our eyes open, we must now watch. Watch for the leaven of the Sadducees and Pharisees. It might even be coming from those very people you are praying for to be saved, sorry, to be saved, the teaching of unbelief. Some of you might be putting two to two together in your head. Okay, if John 6 is true, Matthew 11, that God reveals and draws, what real danger is there? What is there to beware of? All will come. That's our confidence. That's the promise. Amen. And one of the very ways that he will draw you to himself and keep you with himself is by warning you of danger. You know, when, when you're driving and you see a sign warning you of, of danger to come, you heed it. It keeps you on the road. Well, leaven spreads. The danger is that it may to you. The Bible is able to speak of those who have once been enlightened, Hebrews 6.4, who have seen the light, so to speak, but fall away. Ultimately, we must say that those who see and fall never truly saw. Regeneration and newness of life are irrevocable gifts. And the very means that God keeps us from falling away is the warning of danger. Beware of unbelief. Those who truly see also hear and heed. Beware. Those who would spread their unbelief by their words or ways like the Sadducees and Pharisees. What this means for us saints is not shunning or despising people in their unbelief. The danger of false teachers is their teaching. So to beware is to be, be careful. It is to be aware of the danger and stop the spread. It's a call for us to be discerning in what you, what you read, what you watch, what you listen to. Of what your friends and co-workers believe and promote, even subtly. Especially of what religious teachers claim to say from God. Always consider, is this fueling or hindering my faith? All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because the truth is, nothing, saints, nothing is neutral. 
everything is influencing you one way or another. And the worst is when you don't realize it. We must beware the leaven of the Sadducees and Pharisees. Parents, teach us to your children. Eventually they must leave home. How can you help them now learn to discern and beware while you're there to help? Now, as you go to work or go to school, be the opposite influence. Be the anti-leaven of your office. Be the weird one who, who actually acts and talks like Jesus is real and really alive now. Give God vocal credit for good things when they happen. Maybe talk about how you can't do that thing because you love your good Savior. Let others in your office or school see you pray. Be the odd one who doesn't blame shift despite what it might mean for your annual review. Be the anti-leaven. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And as you do, in fact, you will yourself be one of those signs that point to the identity of Jesus. Not billboards for some silly attraction on 95, but the most attractive person ever. We, as we live out our lives as faithful Christians in Stafford, will be a billboard that today points to the truthfulness of Jesus' identity. Stafford Baptist, this is a part of our purpose together. Not only to give God praise, to encourage one another toward heaven, but to be a sign to the watching world. The way that we live in the world, and especially the way that we love one another as the world watches, shows the world who Jesus is. But to be that kind of community, it must start with each and every part of of that community, seeing the signs for themselves first. And seeing, believing, trusting your salvation to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So I ask, do you see? Look. Fix your eyes on the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Savior from your sins. See the signs of your Savior And beware the beliefs of the blind. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks this morning for revealing to us your Son. Lord, he was publicly portrayed as crucified. He publicly rose from the dead for all to see, but yet so many do not see. We once were blind in our beliefs. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to see and be sure of the great proof of Jesus' identity that he is sent from God. He is the true bread from heaven. That this morning we would see and sing believe and believing rejoice and obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Lord, we pray for those who linger in unbelief, who reject Jesus, that you would give them the grace to see and see, believe and be saved. And Father, finally, we pray that you would give us wisdom, discernment, that we would beware the teaching of those who reject Christ, 
And rather, we would be the influence in their very lives to show them the truthfulness of Christ by our faith, by your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray all this. Amen.